0: Podcast, D- D-
1: podcast He probably doesn't remember this at all. Yeah, we're together. It's easy. This is kind of real. Like, holy shit. And so it's really cool to get to be a part of that.
0: Hey, you, know how is, hey, when you...
1: you now tune into the biggest ever.
0: We're not here to take part. We're here to take over. <laughs> I don't remember that. That's crazy. I went to the Purdue game last night.
1: I watched the Purdue game last night, and it was a late night for me, so I can only imagine what the late night was for you. It seemed like that second half was never ending. Well, not the second half. Like, the last eight minutes was never ending.
0: Yeah, it was rough. People were pissed, too.
1: Well, they have a right to be pissed. (laughs) But – they have a right to be pissed. There's a lot of stuff that happened in that game that gave the game away. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, they, it, they just looked – they looked good. Purdue looked good. They just didn't look good to end the first half and to end the game. Um, and it was more self-inflicted wounds. That's what That was the crazy part. I mean, they're going into score right before halftime, and they fumble the football, right, right around the 20-yard line and then they let him go down and score but terrible tackling you know so that game at halftime probably should have been 17-14 Purdue or 14-13 Penn State right and at that point it goes into halftime 21-10 so completely different ball game you come back you take the lead you have the ball with the lead 31-28 I think it was with six minutes left and you get have that Mm -hmm. possession you do, you take like a minute off the clock, you get the ball back, you take very little time off the clock. I don't know. It it, it, was, it was bad time management, bad execution, bad tackling, missed throw on that one where the guy was wide open on the corner that would end the game. And then you let him come back and score with less than a minute left and lose the game. That's, see, that's the problem really with like Purdue and IU football is they find ways to lose. You know what I mean? They find ways to lose instead of like making that play to win. And they turn into totally different teams when they have the lead and they're trying to sustain the lead than they are when they're trying to come back. And it just, I don't know. It was was a rough game to watch just because, you know, living in Indiana, now I want to see Indiana teams do well. And Purdue after the season they had last season with O'Connell at quarterback, I really thought they were going to come in and, and have a really good year. Statement game, right? Friday night game against Penn State, national television. And, uh, I mean, they should have probably won the game by double digits. If if the first end of the first half and the end of the game goes, you execute, you probably should win the game by 10, 14 points. It was, it was rough, man. But this that, that's the problem with playing football all your life is you yeah. sit there and you analyze the game rather than just watch <laughs> and enjoy the game. So I should have just – it was a really good football game to watch yeah. if you just are a football fan. So mm-hmm. it is what it is.
0: I saw – I was up in the box, but I saw West Virginia and Pitt was really good too. So I you know, I was slipping
1: back and forth for a little bit and I saw Pitt take the lead in the third quarter and then I stopped – then I was just – all Penn State Purdue. So I didn't get to see too much of that. And then I saw Tennessee kind of whopped up on ball state uh pretty good, which you would expect a little bit. I was just hoping a little better showing from ball state. But um yeah. Now what IU Illinois tonight and Notre Dame, Ohio State tomorrow mm. are probably the two games I'm gonna watch. My uh, I, I went to Wisconsin and then my badgers play Illinois State. So hopefully I can see the game, but it's probably not gonna be a very good game. So
0: hopefully for your sake.
1: Yeah, um, hopefully. I need Graham Mertz to show up this year. <laughs> I need Graham Mertz to, to be the quarterback he was supposed to be coming out yeah. of out of high school. So um And he started out with a bat on – like a bat on fire two years ago with five touchdown passes. He actually tied my record at Wisconsin in his first game with five touchdown passes. And then we've been looking for that grand hurts ever since.
0: I feel like he did play well down the stretch last year.
1: Yeah, there was one game against Minnesota – not just him, the entire team didn't play well. And in yeah. a lot of it, you know, the quarterback positions, a lot of what the offensive line does. And I didn't feel like the offensive line really played all that great last year for him. <clears throat> a lot of pressure, a lot of under duress throws, and which kind of led to a lot of his turnovers and mistakes. So I'm hoping they kind of sure things up this year, but, you know, that's the nice thing about big, Wisconsin being in the West Division, right? I mean, yeah. you always got a chance to win that West Division, even if you're on a down there. So, um, but I'm excited for USC and UCLA to join the Big Ten. I, you know, it's, it'll be interesting to see how they handle those schedules, you know, with teams those teams coming from the West Coast and teams going out to the West Coast. Because when you are in the NFL and you were traveling, like, say, East Coast to West Coast or Midwest to West Coast, it was tough especially when you would play like a San Diego would come in, you play them at like a one o'clock game Eastern mm-hmm. and you knew it was, you know, 11 o'clock game for them. And they had to get up like super early. So it, it does affect you. And people don't really think about those kind of things.
0: Yeah. it It's going to be weird. Cause I, I'm a big Ten guy like my whole life. So seeing them playing in the big 10, that was going to be crazy. So it's just going to, it's going to take a few years to get used to.
1: Uh, you know, I agree with you because when I was at Wisconsin, the year before I got to Wisconsin, we played UCLA in the Rose Bowl, right? So, and then we played Stanford in the Rose Bowl. But now, like, those teams are going to be in the yeah. Big Ten, which is which is crazy. Um, but hopefully it makes the Big Ten better, right? I mean, you add the Maryland, you add Rutgers, um, and neither of those schools really have had a good showing in the Big Ten since they've added uh, – been added – and now you add USC and UCLA, you just hope that it just makes for a different type of football and, and, and a better better league. Um, because as much as I hate to say it, you know, the SEC is kind of the division, right? It's kind of the league. It's, it's I mean, it's what everybody's kind of striving to be. So um, I don't think the Big Ten will ever get there from a speed standpoint, but we could definitely get there from a com- – competition standpoint, and that's kind of what I hope for the Big Ten because I'm a Big Ten guy, too. I grew up in Michigan. I went to school in Wisconsin, I live in Indiana. So, I mean, Big Ten to the bone, it's just – you just wish they – year in and year out, it was like the Big Ten was 20, 30 years ago.
0: I had Ben Hartstock on – I think you played with him for a year or two. I did. I played
1: against him at Ohio State, and then I played with him with the Colts. He never really got his footing with the Colts um but then he he played a long time after he left. I think he went to Atlanta for a while and I want to say the Jets but I could be wrong about the Jets but um yeah, he's a really good guy. I actually saw him he was doing some announcing um and I am not sure if it was for ESPN or who it was for but I saw him at one of the Colts games when I was doing the radio after I got done mm-hmm. playing and um. Yeah, great guy, great family. Just, just obviously Ohio State guy, which huge knock against him. Obviously, huge knock against him. But you know, he definitely made up for for all the other attributes that he has. Well, you said
0: Kevin Warren's probably telling all the Big Ten teams, "Hey, I just got you guys a seven billion dollar deal. It's time to close the gap." Yeah. So yeah, so we'll see how that plays out, but. Um, yeah, I mean, SEC is just different. I need to get down there and see a game, even if it's at like Tennessee or old Miss. Like, not even an Alabama or LSU game.
1: I know, it, it, but it's crazy the the disparity in the even the SEC. Right, you got your yeah. top, you got your top teams that are always top teams. And I think I heard a interview from Nick Saban, you know, in the off saying last year was a rebuilding year. I mean, holy smokes. I would love a rebuilding year where you go to the national championship and just come up short, right? So, um, but everything's crazy now. Everything's crazy. I mean, yeah. you look at college football, you look at college sports in general, and and but college football with the transfer portal and the NIL deals. And, I mean, back when I, I was making my decision whether or not, where I was going to go, what scholarship I was going to take. It was based on the school, the education, you know, how quickly was I going to play now it's based on the money it's based on. And you can make essentially what a lot would say there's a wrong decision and just end up somewhere different every year. Um, I have, uh, I have a big family I grew up with in Michigan and one of my cousins went to Bowling Green to play softball. She was, she was a really good softball player. She started dating the quarterback at Bowling Green. Well, his name was Jared Dajic. So Jared played quarterback for, for Bowling Green and then he transferred to West Virginia and then he played at West Virginia for a little bit. And now he's at Western Kentucky. Um, and I think he's playing, he, he's looking to start for them. Um so he's three schools in his six years or five, six years, however long he's been there. But um, – and his was basically – I mean, I kind of agreed with his, started out at Bowling Green, wanted to go to a bigger – you know, better program. So he went to West Virginia. Um, I'm not sure what the situation was surrounding him to go to West Kentucky, but he follows the, that zappy or zap that's now with the Patriots. And West Kentucky, they throw the ball over the field. So you go there to try to get the stats up to try to get to the league, right? So that makes sense. But the transfer portal to me, where it's detrimental, is these kids coming out of high school, going into college now, they want to be given everything, right? They want to be yeah. given the starting job. They want to be, you know, and nobody's willing to sit at a school, learn, work for it, and then get it and then play two, three years and be successful. Everybody wants it now, right? So you see all of these moving parts of where kids are going in the mindset of the self instant gratification of I want it now and i work for it. And You know, when I went to Wisconsin, there was a senior quarterback, a redshirt freshman quarterback, me as a true freshman quarterback, and another kid coming in the same class I was. I ended up being third string to start and expected the senior to start all year and then battle with a redshirt kid that was one year older than me for for the starting position. Well, senior ends up getting hurt. Redshirt freshman ends up going in. His name was Brooks Bollinger. And then... He ends up basically being the starter for the next few years. I played a lot because he would get dinged up, and I did well. And, and there was one year we were 1A and 1B quarterbacks, but any kid in that situation nowadays is gone. Yeah. They're out of there. You know what I mean? Um, and maybe that's the right decision. Maybe that's the wrong decision. I don't know, but it just feels like it's so so quick to make a move nowadays that it's just hard for me me to understand that. Um, and then how much these kids are getting paid just to play college football is crazy. I mean, you know, we thought it was good to have, you know, five, 700 bucks left over from our scholarship check. Now they're getting, they're, I mean, they're making hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars and they're living in these lavish lifestyles. I mean, that, I mean, it's awesome, but it, I think there needed to be a little bit more regulations behind it before it was rolled out. Uh, just because it, you give somebody, that age, that kind of money, who really, I mean, a lot of these kids haven't even performed on the field yet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's crazy because I heard the story about the LSU quarterback that was given all these NIL deals. And obviously, it's based off your your name, image, likeness. It's not based off perform, performance on the field. So I, he doesn't win the starting job. I think he ends up quitting football. He still gets to keep his NIL deals just because it has nothing to do with performance on the field, which... It's, it's nuts, and, and the schools with the biggest boosters and the deepest pockets are going to be getting a lot of these recruits just because, I mean, it's the way of the world, right? Where, yeah. where can I go? Where am I going to join myself? But if I have a chance to make some big bucks, I'm going, to, I'm going to try to make those big bucks too. So I'm sitting here rambling about stuff. Sorry about that, man.
0: No, you're good. I think C.J. Stroud just gave like 60 grand of his NIL deal to uh, to his teammates. He's buying them all. Like you gave him like five hundred dollars to buy a suit.
1: Yeah. See, that's awesome. See, I mean, that's that's really cool. And, but I could always see, and that's a smart move by him. So whoever's kind of talking to him, if it was his idea, great. But if it's if it was people that are around him, that's awesome too, because he's surrounded by the right people. Mm-hmm. Because you can create a lot of animosity within a team, especially at that age. If you got a guy like that making. Big bucks and and then somebody who's not right or has no NIL deals. So um, and that's the last thing you want because that'll that'll tear that team apart or any team apart in no time.
0: Hmm. I know we got off on a little tangent, but we did. I, I let I let it slide. Um I want to talk about Pro Team Tactical, obviously, talking to Jim Sorgi, um, former NFL quarterback, co-founder of Pro Team Tactical. Um, talk to me a little bit about Protein Tactical, why you started it, and and how it's grown.
1: Yeah, so me and my business partner, who's actually a really good friend of mine, his name is Joey Vandiver, um, he played Major League Baseball, and I obviously I played NFL football. So um, we started a company called Protein Tactical Performance, and, and what it is, and we're really proud of it, is... It's basically taking care of first responders, um, public safety members, police officers, firefighters, EMS corrections, um, taking care of them and giving them the red carpet treatment like athletes get. Uh, And if you've anybody who's ever played, I mean college athletics, high-level college athletics, uh, professional athletics, knows that you, you kind of get the red carpet treatment in a lot of different areas, yeah. uh, but you especially get the red carpet treatment in the areas of performance, right, and in injury prevention, and in injury rehab, and um, what we found out, because we have, we both have, have a lot of public safety family members, you know, have a lot of uh firefighters in my family he has firefighters in in law enforcement in his family is it's kind of a shame the way we expect our public safety first responders who come at at a moment's notice when we're we're in a time of need how they're taking care of in those areas performance injury prevention. So we, we, we decided to start it based on our experiences at high level college and collegiate and, and professional ath- athletics is to start a company that provides that, that those type of services to first responders. So if you've ever been to an um, athletic training room, uh, we create tactical athlete training rooms. So we create tactical athlete training rooms where they go when they get hurt And then we give them that red carpet specialized kind of care for the job specific duties that they do. So they come to us, they get seen, they get evaluated. And then we put them on the the path of recovery as quickly as possible. So athletes, All these teams that have these athletes, there's an investment in these athletes to be on the field, right, to perform on the field. If you're on the sidelines, you're not doing anybody any favors, right? So it's the exact same thing with with police officers and firefighters. So what we do is they come to us with an injury. We try to keep them on duty while we rehab that injury. Um, if we can't, if it's an injury that we got to pull them from duty or they have to come off duty, then we put that plan together to get them back to duty as quickly as possible, just like an athlete would. Um, and then on top of that, we look at what are the underlying reasons maybe for this injury? How well do you move? How well do you move with the equipment on, um, And then we take that and we put some strength on top of it. So we try to make you a better mover. We try to make you more uh, uh, strong. We try to help you eat right. We try to do all these things that athletes are given to make you be successful at your job. Because really, you look at athletes. Athletes are entertainers. Um, They go out there and they win and lose games, right? We talk about the Purdue-Penn State game. There was no life and death situation last night in that game right it was just basically entertainment go out there have fun play game try to win police officers and firefighters get called to a scene or 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 get called um there is no winning and losing if you lose sometimes people lose their, their lives so um and it's the people you're going to see it's themselves it's the people they work with it could be others so we feel like we they need to if athletes are given that kind of treatment then damn sure public safety should be getting that kind of treatment just because of what they're called on to do at any given notice. So that was, that's the kind of the whole premise behind Protein Tactical. We started it in 2018. We started business actually in 2019 with the Indianapolis Fire Department. We've been with them ever since. And then um, we picked up the Indianapolis Metro Police Department. And then we kind of started opening our own uh, facilities kind of all over Indiana. We got uh, three, four in central Indiana, one up in northwest Indiana. Um, and those are the locations that we serve all the all the suburban and smaller departments. So uh, please fire EMS corrections. And and we're their first stop for any kind of injury they may, may have on duty or off duty to try to keep them um, where they need to be at work, saving lives every day. So that's that's the premise behind Protein Tactical.
0: I absolutely love that. As a guy that uh, my dad's in law enforcement, um, I mean when I when I told him you were coming on, he was he talked glowingly of you. Although um, his department, I think they use they use somebody else. But I mean, what you guys are doing it it's special because, like you talked about, the law enforcement and firefighters, EMT. I mean, they don't get the The recognition or appreciation that they probably deserve a lot of the times. And I mean, you guys going out and creating something strictly for them is so special to me.
1: Yeah. And and they deserve it. Right. I mean, they've dedicated their lives to helping others and serving their communities. You know, we should dedicate something for them, um, for the, for that sacrifice, for that service. And I mean, it just makes sense. You look at the type of jobs they have. A lot of them were athletes before a lot of them know the model. A lot of them played college athletics, definitely played mostly most of the time through high school, but someone under college, someone under the professional ranks at all different sports. And, and they're used to the physical demands of the job. But their jobs are so physically demanding that you the body's just going to break down as you get older. It's just the way it is. So the more we can kind of keep them in, in the best shape possible, but then also fix those, those uh sprain, strains, tweaks that they get along the way so it doesn't turn into something big so it doesn't turn into surgery because honestly it's giving back to them for the job now so they can do their job at a a high level and be at peak performance when called upon but it's a lot of it is is based off of wanting them to enjoy life after the job is over um and really not have to worry about backs and knees and shoulders and all this stuff from you know wearing you know, the vest or the belt or the equipment or, you know, doing all our trainings that they had to go through. And then what we're also getting ready to start is our, is our behavioral health, mental health component to it as well, just because, you know, the physical affects the mental, the mental affects the physical. Um, And you, you, see that in in athletics and athletics, is a, it's a high stress job, but there's no more high stress job than, than, putting your your life on the line to save other people's lives. Um, And what police officers and firefighters see on a day-to-day basis or over the course of their career, it weighs on them heavily. Um, So we're we're putting together that program just for police and fire to try to uh, empty that bucket along their career just so they don't deal with those lingering long-term effects of anything they might be dealing with, such as, you know, post-traumatic stress or anxiety or depression or um, lack of sleep or even a, a substance abuse issue, maybe just from all the things that they've seen, and, and and a way to try to escape from it. So, no, we're proud of what we're trying to build, um, trying to build, and what we have built so far, and we just hope it kind of continues to grow um, uh, here in Indiana, but also out out of state and, and nationally, just to try to get these services to the people that deserve it.
0: And what are your guys' next steps in terms of trying to? trying to do that
1: you know it we're pretty much established here in Indy for for what we do currently now we're putting that mental health piece together so that'll be another um, uh, service that we provide here in in, in, in Indiana um, conversations have been had with departments all over the country as far as you know, What they're trying to do, what they're trying to get accomplished, how we feel like we can help them get it there, because every department's different. So it's a lot of communication back and forth with here. Here's what we offer. Here's what you need. How do we mold it to fit exactly what's best for your department? So a lot of those conversations have been had. The tough part is in athletics, there's. Most of the time, on limited budgets, right? I mean, they're just getting it just because it's the best thing for their member, for the for the players. Um, when you're dealing with, you know, cities and municipalities and things like that, and departments, there's budgets, and they have budgets that they're kind of. You know, restrained to so it's trying to work around those budgets to give them the best program possible. Um, but that's an, that's the also the best thing about our program is it's kind of a win 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 because it's a win for the member because it's better care, it's a win for the department because you have a healthier, happier, uh, more successful department, and it's a win for the city because actually, with our programs, you actually save money because it's it cuts down on the time they're off work where you're having to. Replace them with somebody on overtime or something like that. So, uh, next steps are just continue those conversations, uh, get with the right people, and just try to spread the word on what we're trying to do, and 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 get get uh, get to the point where you you're, you're putting up tactical athletic training rooms in in other states. That's awesome, man! All the best to
0: you for that. Uh, first of all, I mean, like I said, you guys are doing something special there. Um I wanted to transition to football a little bit. After you retired, I know you you got into broadcasting a little bit, doing stuff with the Colts. Was it difficult for you to transition and try to find that passion, the things that you wanted to do?
1: Um it, it was, but things kind of fell into my lap a little bit. Uh as as well, you know, you I got done playing uh, 2011, I started doing the broadcasting stuff, I had done it a little bit throughout my career with radio and some TV stuff, but I didn't really know if it was something I wanted to kind of dive into um, all full-fledged, and, and uh, I started to do, I did the preseason television broadcast for the Colts in 2012, the first year Andrew Luck got there, and and I enjoyed it and it just kind of worked out where going into 2013 the the color commentator for the radio ended up stepping down because he got a, a he was he got a job in in Louisville I believe and that spot kind of opened up so at that time I was asked if I could do that or, or would be willing to do that and I thought it would be awesome you know it'd be like playing without having to put out the pads right I get to travel with the team I get to be around the team I get to you know, enjoy f- football and, and kind of analyze and talk about it. So uh, started that in 2013, did that for, for eight years, and then it came to a point where it was starting Protein Tactical in 2018 um, and really trying to devote the time to grow that and make that as successful as it could be was taken up a lot of times during the week. Uh, a lot of time during the week and then during the cold season, on the weekends sometimes if it's an away game you leave on Saturday and you don't get back until late Sunday so it's work all week it's work all weekend and I have three boys I have a well now they're 16 14 and eight but you know back then they were they were a little younger and a lot of their activities were on the weekends so it was I was missing some things and I just I was always distant I was always working and it just wasn't the kind of you know, work-life balance that I wanted to, to have. So, some kind of had to give, I really felt passionate about what we were trying to do with pro team and, and wanting to grow that. And, um, and, and wanted the weekends to the family. So it was just kind of a logical choice to, to stop doing the radio and, um, spend that time with the family and then use the time during the week to, to grow, grow this business. Um, and it it's worked out great, you know. I, I get to enjoy the weekends, watch college football on Saturday, watch NFL football on Sunday, and then get up, go to work Monday through Friday, and get to practices and get to games and, and do all that stuff for the kids. And um, it's it's right now. I think it it couldn't be it couldn't be better.
0: And I know I'm interested to hear when you started kind of thinking about your next steps because as a backup quarterback. You kind of you know your role, but you don't know how long you're going to be in it because, I mean, you look at someone like like Chad Henney, who's been kind of a career backup, gotten starts in um, various places. But I mean, he's I forget how long he's been in the league, but then you have yep. you have other guys like like Curtis Painter, who I mean, I think he only played a couple years or a few years and Yeah, then, three, four or something like that. Yeah. And then he left um so what was your mindset in, in terms of that were you like okay this this is gonna end soon or I might I might do this for the long haul
1: yeah and, and honestly I mean we all feel like we could do it forever right I, I feel like I could still play today um, and I definitely could have played longer than I did which was seven years uh it's all about the situation that and, and the choices you make in the situation that you're in um so I had six years with the Colts um and Back up to answer your question. You think about it, but you it, it's very hard to put a plan together of what you're going to do afterwards, because unless you're doing it to some extent, it's hard to determine what you what you want that to be. So um, six years with the Colts, one year with the Giants. So. And you kind of see these clips pop up. Everybody's been sending them to me. I don't know if you see Victor Cruz in his first game against the Jazz catching touchdown passes, Well, that was my last football game I ever played, and I was the one throwing them those touchdown passes, right? Well, in that last one, to the left, I got hit. I landed on my shoulder, and I ended up having surgery. So I was out that whole year, and, and then IR back then is you're out the whole year. You couldn't come back. Um, now you can come back at a certain point in time after a certain amount of time. So I was out that whole year, and then the lockout came. So the – Missed the whole year. The lockout came Um, by the time the lockout was over. uh, There's a lot of. Rumors about what's going to happen, where you're going to go. I had the Giants come back and offer me a contract Um, and, you know, and then there was rumors that Cincinnati was going to come and offer me a contract. And so. At the time, the choice was probably maybe to go to Cincinnati, we could come back and live, family could come back and live here in Indiana, I could kind of commute back and forth, it's not that far. Well, that ended up not happening by the time the Giants, and then by the time you go back to the Giants, the Giants signed uh, David Carr um, to be their backup to Eli. So at that point, you're out of options, you know what I mean? So if I would have just probably made the right decision, sign that contract with the Giants, go back to the Giants. Who knows what might happen? Who knows how long you're a backup from that standpoint? Who long, Who knows how long you're going to play if you bounce around and things like that. But I know I would have gotten more years in the seven that I got in, but I chose to wait to see if this would come along. It didn't, this wasn't available anymore. And then I sp- kind of spent that whole next year kind of working out for teams worked out for Miami worked out for the Raiders and, um, and nothing really ever panned out, uh, had good workouts. It was just, they always went with the guy that had experience with the offense coordinator had experience in the offense or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then you get to the point where you're out a year, you're new, and then you kind of forgotten about it at that point. So, uh, and you always got new quarterbacks kind of coming in, new quarterbacks kind of shining. So it's it just never kind of worked out for me to get back into the league, but, um, I feel like if I would have made the right decision and probably went back with the Giants, signed that contract, I probably would have backed up Eli for when back somebody else up or something like that, because at that point I would have had 10, 11, 12 years in and people are always looking for a re- reliable, you know, veteran backup. So, and, it, it, and that's kind of what I meant by choices and decisions kind of dictate what how long you play and and, and what you do. So it, but I feel like all choices lead you to the path that you are on today. Right. I mean, if I play 15 years, that kind of, so I I don't get done until 2018, maybe I don't start protein tactical for, for police and fire. Right. And um, so, you know, I think this is, you know, as much as it's, it's painful and I would, I love football and I would have liked to have played football for a long time and probably done it for 20 years, 18, 20 years as a backup or maybe got a chance to start. I feel like that decision kind of led me to back home in Indiana doing the radio to meet, you know, my my buddy and my business partner to get us on the path to start Sorgie Sports and Protein Tactical and, and, and put us where we are today. So um, no regrets, no complaints. Uh, miss putting on the pads, miss being in the locker room, miss being at training camp and riding the planes and the buses and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, I, now I get to watch my kids play football and baseball and basketball and, and, and have fun just being, just being that.
0: What do you miss most? God, that's, that's
1: a good question. Um, You know, I I miss playing, um, but I miss being in the locker room. Honestly, what I miss the most is, is throughout the weeks is like putting that game plan together as a chess match to beat the other team. Like the, like the meetings and, you know, the discussions behind, you know, how should we block this or how, or, you know, let's throw this play out because this plays better or this is what they do. You know? um, And then, so I missed that part of it, that kind of that game plan stuff throughout the week to put the best plan together to, to play the team you're playing. But then I also missed the in game situations where you expect them to do something and they do something completely different, or they do something that's a little bit of a wrinkle and you got to figure it out kind of like quickly with everybody on the sidelines through, you know, the, the pictures and the iPads and, and talking in headsets to, on how to fix it um, and doing it at halftime in the locker room. I mean, it kind of puts you on a spot. It kind of puts you in a, kind of in a corner, and it's, it's how you fight. like. Can you figure it out and fight your way out of it? Um, like the cold. Honestly, the teams I was on with the Colts, we, we didn't find ourselves in that position all too often. I mean. It, it was more like, you know, if we got the ball, we were gonna score and then stop them and score, and the next thing you know up, we're up 17-21, nothing. Or if they got the ball, we were gonna stop them and score and then stop them and the score and be up 14, 17 to nothing. So it very rarely were we kind of put in a in a tough spot, but um being able to to work together to figure out and solve those problems was was a lot of fun to me. What were, what
0: were those meeting rooms like with you and Peyton and and maybe Tom Moore and and Clyde and, and all the coaches, what were those meeting rooms like during the week trying to break down the defenses?
1: Yeah. uh, It it depends on the situation of the day or of the week, Mm -hmm. right? It depends on if you're coming off of a loss or you're coming off of, of a win. Are you playing a division game or are you playing the Patriots? Are you playing, you know, it, the room kind of lent itself to the situation that you, that you were in. Right. I mean, if it's a little tense, if you, if you needed a win or you were playing a, a rival team or a division game, it was a pretty tense week. Right. Um, if it, if it was, if you're seven and oh and, and, you know, just playing kind of a Sunday one o'clock game, it is a little bit, less of a tense week, but there was always that, um, and, and Peyton kind of led this as well as the coaches. There was always that, that push, right. There was never really that time to relax during the season. Right. Cause we were always trying to push. We were always trying to be better. We was always trying to get to the next level. And, and, um, that would be throughout the off season into training camp into the season. And then so there was always that that sense of urgency, but it the room and the week kind of met the what the room and the, the week w- was like. So it but it, it was tense. It was tense at times and you know, everybody had their opinions and but a lot of great minds in that room, man. I mean you know, Peyton and then Tom Moore and then Coach Coach Caldwell and Coach Christensen and Coach Reich was in there for a little bit toward the end with me and and him. And so it was uh, a lot of good football talk. Coach Howard Mudd, I mean, I, I'd be a remiss to remember uh, him and, I mean, just the best offensive line coach out there. I mean, if you needed to figure out a solution and solve a blocking scheme or come up with something, he was the best at it. So um, a lot of fun. A lot, of good, a lot of good
0: memories, a lot of good talks. I mean, Peyton, he, he's seen all the stories now because, I mean, he wasn't on social media for a long time, and then now he's got the Manicast and all that stuff. So we're finding out more and more stories of how he was he, – he had his, his thumb on everything um, on those teams. What was it like to see him kind of as a leader and – and
1: in the face of that franchise yeah man I mean he did he did whatever job was needed of him at the time right I mean if it was starting quarterback if it was leader of the team if it was captain if it was quarterback coach if it was head coach if it was CEO if it was owner whatever whatever Mm -hmm. role he had to play he was going to play it just to make sure everything went off without a hitch um and as much as he controlled, as much as he did on the football field, I would consider him, in my mind, just because I got to see it firsthand for six years, the best quarterback to ever play the game. Now, I know there's obviously arguments for others that are out there. There's obviously an argument for, for Tom Brady as the best. And you probably got to give it to Tom Brady just because of the success that he's had and how, how many Super Bowls he's been to and how many how long he's played and, and how many Super Bowls he's Want. But um, from, a, from an in-game game planning, uh, importance to the team standpoint in terms of wins and losses, uh, I would say pound for pound, Peyton was the best quarterback to ever play the game. Um, and it, it, it was truly amazing to watch him on the field orchestrate everything that he would orchestrate um, almost to the point where you really did, didn't understand genius behind it and you played the same position as him. Um, it would, there would be times where a play would come in from the sideline. We were a no-huddle offense, so he was so good at getting the defense to show, but then he would pull out a play that we hadn't run or repped or then it could be week fourteen, and we didn't rep it since training camp. And he would pull out the play, call the play, signal the play. And kudos to everybody that was on the field with him: offensive line, wide receivers, running back, because they would they obviously all remembered it, all was on the same page, and and would run it and and be successful and get it done. But that his brain was like a computer. It was like a memory, brain, a bank, a hard drive, right? It just kind of saved everything. Um, and it was tough for me to kind of get acclimated to that because really until getting to the Colts, everything that I played in, all the systems I played in was call the play, run the play, make a play, right? I mean, if things went, Hey, why are you just make a play, be an athlete. Our offense was all about getting in the right play for the right situation against the right defense. Um, and he was the best at it. He was literally the best at it. Um, and just you know, creating opportunities and making people better. And, and that's why we were so good when you put when you put a team out there where you got Reggie Wayne on one side, a uh, Marvin Harrison on the other side, um, Edrin James or Joseph Adai in the backfield or Dominic Rhodes and a Dallas Clark at tight end and a, a Brandon Stokely. That's why those teams I mean, there were times where numerous times I can't even count how many times we didn't punt I and mean, we scored every drive I mean I mean it, it was just to that to the level where if you weren't doing that, then you weren't you weren't getting better, right I mean, um every year was a double digit win season every year was a possible Super Bowl. everywhere you were, you were going to make the playoffs in some way, shape or form. Um, And honestly, I felt a lot of pressure with that because as his backup, if something did happen, I have to go out there and I'm not saying perform like that, but I have to win, right. I have to win and I have to, you know, keep the team, you know, functioning like, like he would. Uh, And there was a lot of pressure with that just to, to, to be able to do that. I knew I wasn't going to do it like him, but I had to be, I had to win. Um, and it it, it never really happened to where he got hurt for a long period of time when I was there, but, uh, the, the anxiety, the stress of of trying to be good enough and, and work hard enough and learn enough to be able to do that was, was tough. So football, football season was a little bit of, was, was stressful. Um, and now, now you're talking to a 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29-year-old kid at the time, right? Now I turned 42 in December this year. I wish I could take this mindset and this mind and go back and play back then, right? Because you understand it's not that big. It's not that serious, right? And I think sometimes you have to play with that mentality a little bit to play better and not put so much pressure on yourself. So um, it, it's funny, it's, it's, you know, the old saying, you know, youth is wasted on the young and wisdom is wasted on the old, right? I mean, if you could take a lot of the stuff you learned as you get older and go back and do it over again, how much more successful you, you would be because you would just understand it's not a life and death situation. So um, yeah, but Peyton, Peyton was uh he was an enigma, man. He was, he was, he was so good on the football field, but then he was so good at taking his success on the football field and and creating the success in other markets and other, in other, in other fields. Um, and that's kind of, kind of, why you see, I mean, he's been retired for what, five, six years now, and he's still as big of a name and as big of a <clears throat> personality as he was back then. I mean, from the endorsements to all the stuff that he's doing outside of football from a business standpoint, you know, he's got good people around him. He's got smart people around him, but um, he's, he's extremely intelligent himself and understands that he can, um, kind of carry that, that legacy and that, you know, that name and that idolization into, into more successes in his lifetime. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think, I don't think you guys over a lot, you guys might have for a year or two, uh, Pat McAfee, it's my, it's my favorite thing ever. He talks about in the heyday of Peyton, when he would tell the crowd to, to quiet down, babies would stop crying in hospitals across Indianapolis I mean, he had that much of an impact, and I mean, growing up for me, being a Colts fan, looking at Peyton, you're like, "Oh, this is how it's supposed to be every year." And then obviously he gets hurt yep. and leaves, um, everything like that happens. I know, I know Peyton was kind of notorious is the right word, but I know he got onto his teammates um, quite a bit. I know there's a story of Austin Collie tried to catch a one handed ball and. Peyton just pointed to the sideline. Did you have any times where Peyton just ripped
1: you a new one? No, no, I, I I never had one of those times. And and honestly, I was never really put in a position to have one of those times. I I will take it. But there was one time that you know, but it wasn't a situation where anything crazy. I was playing in his stead because we were we had sealed everything up or controlled our own fate. And he, would, he would, it was one of those games toward the end of the season where he went out and played a series, and then I would come in and play the rest of the game. And I remember us having to burn, like, two timeouts in my first drive out there. And I believe one of them was actually my fault, so I had to call timeout. But the other one, because he would come out of the game and put on the headset and called plays so he put on the headset he called the play so he called the play but he called the play for the wrong personnel that we had on the field so I burned the second time out I'm coming off the field and you could tell he was hot you know he kind of had that look on his face he was getting ready to go so he said something and I was like so I was like I need different personnel so he kind of looks up and he goes you're right and he just kind of looked back down at the Uh, the call sheet. And, and then we went on from there, but that was really the only time he ever really got me, but I've seen him get on some guys. I mean, just because there there was an expectation there, right? I mean, you see the clip going around all the time about him and Jeff Saturday fighting on the sidelines and then him and Tart getting into it. And you see my skinny butt kind of come in there and try to stand in the middle of them. um, Like I was trying to do something, or you see that clip where there's a play with Donald Brown, where he can be heard yelling, God, damn it, Donald, as he's kind of running to the right and, and slides. And um, he just – he expe- he was so – he expected perfection from himself and he would work toward that, that he expected that from everybody else. He was like that Michael Jordan. You know, Michael Jordan used to get on his teammates <clears throat> and really try to hold them accountable because he's like, if I could put that kind of pressure on them, then I know that they're going to be able to handle that pressure um, when, it, when it's under the lights. And I think he was the very – he was the exact same way. Um, you know, practice hard, practice perfect. So when you go into the game, it's easy. And and then he expected everybody to do what you practice or to do uh, play to a high level because, because of that. So, um, and that was the expectation. That was the expectation of all those years. Uh, And you're right. Everybody that grew up a Colts fan kind of in that generation expected all the teams to be like that. Um, and I think that's the hardest thing, thing for the for the fans right now is um, you're still trying to find that guy or trying to, and, and, and I mean, it's, I told you, pound for pound in my eyes, the best quarterback ever to play the game. So they don't come around very often, right? A good one in Andrew Luck. And and I feel like that era of Colts football was too successful too early. Um, you know, first year Andrew got there, they ended up, winning and making the playoffs and things like that. So too successful too early, and they weren't able to continue to build that team around him. Um, and I think that was kind of the detriment of, of, of that era. Um, and now after he's retiring, it's just kind of going from quarterback to quarterback to quarterback, right? You go from Philip Rivers to Carson Wentz to Matt Ryan, and it's just trying to find that, uh, the succession plan for for long-term success, for 10, 12-year success rather than one, two-year success. Um, and I don't think they've – and I think they're doing the right. They're not just going to go get a guy. They're not just going to go get a guy that they think is going to fail. So they go get these quarterbacks that – they think they can get a year or two out of them. Um, I think they really thought Carson Wentz could have been maybe a long-term solution and that didn't really work out. Uh, but, you know, Matt Ryan, I think he's entering his 14th, 15th year and quarterbacks have a shelf, right? a shelf life, right? So if you can get two, maybe three years out of him and put that succession plan together for a young guy to develop for a year or two and then take over and give you that long-term success, that would be the best thing for the organization. Uh, and, you just hope you find that guy. But the NFL game is so different than the college game now. It really is. I mean, the the shotgun stuff, the looking to the sideline to make a – to see what the coaches want you to run, that stuff doesn't work in the NFL. Um, you need to be able to think. You need to be able to react. You need to be able to to, to do it in a short amount of time and to fix things and, and make plays. And it just you're, – you're not getting those quarterbacks coming out of college anymore. Um that can do that mm-hmm.
0: last thing before I let you go here um, that Super Bowl run um, in 07 I mean how how special is that how often do you think back to to those seasons and in that run and 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 those teammates on that team I know you mentioned a few of them I mean all pros pro bowlers some hall of famers just littered across the roster
1: yeah, it's it's kind of crazy when you think about it, man, you look at the ring of honor, right? You look at the Hall of Fame guys that have come out of guys on that team and it's going to continue continue to be like that. Um, and it wasn't just on offense it was on defense as well but the special thing about that season is really the offense kind of carried the season right the offense was was dynamic the whole season and then in the playoffs it was kind of like it was kind of the opposite you know the defense kind of carried us through some of those playoff wins especially the win in baltimore where we didn't score a touchdown i think we ended up winning the game 16-13 or something I, like that 13-10 i believe it was 15-6 um, all field 15-6 all something field like goal
0: crazy like yeah
1: It it was crazy. And, you know, the defense really stepped up and we won that game. And then, you know, to be able to come back and play the – I think what made that so sweet is how many times we lost to the Patriots in key games during during that era. And then to be able to beat them at home on an interception by Marlon Jackson when you were down early in that game and come back late, um, I think that's kind of what set the tone – for that season, really being special is you, you kind of got that monkey off your back of getting to the Super Bowl, beating the Patriots, um, and then you get to the Super Bowl. The only, the only bad thing about that season is it rained at the Super Bowl, and honestly, you know, it could have been a monsoon and none of us would have really cared. But um, yeah, it was it was a special season, one that we'll never forget. And I think we're coming up on what? Let's see, we had our ten year anniversary, so we'll have our twenty year. 20 year anniversary here in about four years, five years, something like that. So, um, a lot of fun, a lot of good memories. That's special, man. Um,
0: like I said, I'm gonna let you go. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I know we had some technical difficulties the other day, um, but I really appreciate you and making time to do this and, and being so open and honest and, um, and sharing your
1: stories. Yeah, my pleasure. Hey, same computer too. That's the crazy thing. Same <laughs> computer. Just when I did it on Tuesday, it was a black screen and I was like I don't know how to fix it. That's not that's not definitely not my up my alley. So today it worked and I'm glad. Um you have a great holiday weekend and I'm sure we'll t- we'll, we'll catch up and and talk soon.
0: Yes sir, you too. Stay safe. All right, All right. bye-bye.